Welcome to How I Got Here, a podcast from the garage at Northwestern exploring interesting journeys of young professionals working at exciting companies and the role that entrepreneurship played in getting them there. My name is Mike Rapp, and I love dissecting nonlinear and non-traditional career paths and the lessons that we can all take away from those who forge them. In this episode, I'm joined by Akshat Thirani, the founder and CEO of Amper Technologies. Akshat founded Amper as a college student interested in understanding his electric bill, but after winning competitions such as the MIT Clean Energy Challenge and attracting outside investors, he realized that he needed to pivot the product to serve industrial manufacturers instead of homeowners. Since that decision, Amper has raised millions of dollars in venture capital, grown to a team of 15, and helped customers manage their manufacturing lines. In this conversation, we discuss pivoting a startup, fundraising from venture capitalists, and why as an entrepreneur it's important to quote-unquote think like a scientist. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Akshat Dharani. All right. Well, Akshat, thanks so much for uh, being here with us today. Yeah, it's good to be here, Mike. We're happy to have you. Um, so obviously, I want to focus uh, most of this conversation around Amper, which is the, the startup that you founded as a college student and have scaled and grown and, and now raised millions of dollars and uh, run it full time. But you had actually had a couple of ideas and, and projects and startups prior to Amper. Um, can you talk just a little bit about those ideas that you worked on and maybe why they didn't end up working? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been trying to start different ideas and products since my freshman year, pretty much, or even in high school. And I've always loved the idea of you know finding a problem building a solution for it. And my freshman year of college, the immediate problem that I faced was really expensive textbooks. And so wanted to build basically some kind of textbook exchange where you could buy, you know, used textbooks and not have to pay hundreds hundreds of dollars for it. It was really exciting to kind of sort of build out the wireframes and all this, but that never really took off. Um and throughout college, you know, I, I played around with different ideas. Anytime I'd come across a problem, I'd want to kind of instinctively build a company around it. Uh, maybe not the right approach for every problem, but that was just my mindset about you know, building a product and commercializing it. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, you're obviously excited by the prospect of commercializing um, solutions to problems that you face personally. But it sounds like you also weren't discouraged um, when those ideas didn't take off. Uh, you just kind of look for the next thing. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, some things, it's also a personal thing around, um, you know, are, are you passionate enough about a problem to really see it through? You know, sometimes those problems are really core and can keep you fueled for the long haul. And sometimes, you know, it's it's just not the thing you're most passionate about. So I think, yeah, the, it's... It's interesting. It was always an exploration. Right. I also feel like sometimes founders are really obsessed with the problem because they think they can build a business out of it, not for any other reason, but it's like, <laughs> this is my opportunity. I have to like build this. <laughs> right, right. And that solution attachment is very easy to fall into, especially whether you're an engineer or someone who's like thought of this idea. So totally get it. Right. I like that phrase, solution attachment. Um, so I, I believe it was your junior year that you start working on kind of the original idea of, of what Amper was. Um, what was the genesis of that? Yeah, so I moved off campus my junior year and um, you know, started playing, paying utility bills on 
electricity use and all. And started out with a simple question, which is, oh, I wonder, you know, what what's really using electricity? You know, how is this bill uh, generated? What's composed of it? And I think it was a very basic question. And at the time, I was really, really into renewable energy and the grid in general. And so I just found it like a fascinating problem to understand both ho- how home energy is used and also its implications at a grid level. And um, yeah, essentially started to pull on this thread and came up with this solution of a smart circuit breaker, where basically we would measure electricity using a fuse box or a circuit breaker in homes. And found it to be a pretty interesting point to measure because you could tell which rooms are using how much electricity, which appliance are using how much electricity. So it was just a very interesting thing that I kind of stumbled upon and definitely had fell victim of that solution attachment over here. But it was just a fascinating problem, to be honest. Yeah, super interesting. So essentially, you wanted to know, you know, my refrigerator is costing me 20 bucks a month, my air conditioner is costing me 30 and just like understand how much all of your appliances were um, costing you your monthly electricity bill. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And did you know if this was technically possible? Like what was kind of your process of from this is something I would like to know to discovering and researching the feasibility of it? Yeah, at the at the point, I didn't even think as thoroughly around, you know, how do we launch this as a complete product? I was like, oh, I wonder what the electrical patterns look like off a off different appliances at home. And so kind of took it inch by inch where I started to kind of uh, build a basic prototype, see what was happening. And at the time, I also started going to a lot of hackathons, which are these events where, you know, for 24 hours, 36 hours, you're just kind of building stuff. And so it was an interesting enough um, product or problem to to build out on where I started taking this to two or three different hackathons and kept building different components of it. And funny story there, I actually ran into uh, the folks from 1517 Fund who uh, used to run the Teal Fellowship. And uh, they found the idea super interesting. And that led to some more conversations and ultimately a grant by the Teal Foundation on that same idea. Wow. So you're getting some like initial interests and funding, um, it sounds like, very early on. Yeah, it was a pretty small check, but it was enough um, to, to make me feel like it was completely validated and really excited about the idea. So I thought it was a pretty cool thing that you, uh, to be working with these folks and to have that support from, from them. For sure. And at this point, is, we haven't covered yet what you're studying in school, but is this stuff as far as, you know, what you're building that you're learning in classes or are you learning it online or teaching yourself or like, where are you, where are you getting the knowledge and experience to, to build kind of the MVP of this product? Yeah. A lot of this was just not related to coursework. Like it wasn't a school project. It wasn't part of a course and things that I was learning was like, how do you design PCBs and, you know, different web applications. I could have taken a course theoretically, but, you know, was just building it out and learning from different resources online. Got it. So you're just teaching yourself at your own pace rather than like waiting for a 10 week course or something. Yeah. I'm not going to wait until next winter quarter. (laughs) 
I love that. Okay. So you're working on this idea. You kind of have some external validation and a, and a small check. And, and let me know if I'm jumping ahead here, but uh, you decide over the summer to turn down an internship offer that you had to Google uh, to, to work on this full time. How is that experience? And is it what you were expecting as far as kind of working on your startup full time? Yeah, I, I was really excited to explore this. This was in between my junior and senior year of college. And I felt like there was no good, good reason not to do it. It felt like there was a, enough of a nugget of an idea that I really wanted to put in the time and really explore this problem. And I will say it was a pretty challenging <laughs> summer to be working this solo in an apartment. This was before the garage really existed. So I think I learned firsthand just the challenges of doing the solo. But at the same time, like, I didn't want to kind of give up on this. It, it was really interesting. And at the time, I partnered with uh, one of my friends, Phil House, to build this out further. And uh, just kind of share a bit more from here. In the fall of my senior year, had the opportunity to, um, you know, attend one of these talks by someone who's, who was from an accelerator. So the startup program Hacks, which is a startup program to help hardware companies launch their products. Uh, one of the partners was on campus at Northwestern giving a talk. And after speaking with him one-on-one -on -one after, after the talk, he gave an offer on the spot to join the startup program. That was really exciting. It felt like the whole world changed in that moment to an extent. And here's like, you know, someone doing it as a side, side gig and uh, suddenly it becomes a company to an extent by, you know, getting an investment offer and joining a startup program. That is a big turning point. But, but yeah, I, I mean, my fall of my senior year, I was pretty determined to see this through and do this full time. This just was honestly a matter of luck as well. Yeah. So it sounds like the kind of summer before um, you realized how kind of lonely it can be being a, a one person startup. Uh, and I think, you know, sometimes there's just a lack of the balance of someone's having an up day or a down day. Um, but you find Phil, bring him on, then uh, your fall quarter, you're getting, again, more external validation from smart people who want to invest and um, help Amper grow. So at this point, like, where's the product? Do you have customers yet? Like, what kind of progress had you made and how are you thinking about it? It sounds like you definitely were not thinking about, you know, doing recruitment or looking for other jobs after school, but you were kind of all in on, on making this work. Was that the case? Yeah. So the state of the business was there was a prototype and it was able to do at a very MVP level, the end to end of measuring electricity and basically telling what appliance is it in a house now that is a that's maybe doing it too much <laughs> giving it too much credit but but there's a semblance of a prototype that seemed to work and obviously a long long way from being able to sell it to homes and replace safety devices in circuit breakers and at the time we we got into the startup program and gone like january february march is typically when a lot of startup pitch competitions happen in colleges like whether it's the Rice uh, Business Case Competition or even uh, at Northwestern. And that, that time was really consumed in pitching and not as much a building. So that is a pretty unique time. <laughs>
Interesting. So kind of the the second half of your senior year is mostly entering these pitch competitions to win some significant cash, but um, less so on building product or selling customers or that type of thing. And you actually ended up winning like the MIT Clean Energy Challenge. You won some money from the Northwestern competition. So I, I assume that that's like a very motivating and exciting process. How are you feeling, you know, again, getting more and more external validation here? Yeah, at the time, it just felt great, right? Like, really smart people have validated your idea. You've gotten some form of venture investing through the startup program. You know, MIT's Clean Energy Prize, you're, you've kind of won some prize there. And I think that really warped reality more than <laughs> it should have to an extent for me, um, which is I just felt like, yeah, this has got to be one of those things that, you know, just works out. So anyway, so we, we this flights booked to move to go to Shenzhen for four months, be part of the startup program, and we graduate. And there's this weird like two three month period before the startup program actually starts, and <laughs> piece by piece that whole startup program, uh, sorry, the startup idea is invalidated, meaning it's a safety device as a circuit breaker, so you can't. Just launch it. You got to go through a ton of regulation. Home electricity bills are pretty cheap for most people. So, you know, saving a few bucks here and there is just not a compelling enough reason to change your habits. And just the, the sales cycles of replacing electrical infrastructure is multi-year, right? Until, unless you have reasons for renovating. And so... It became clear that this is an idea that an early stage startup is is probably biting off more than it can chew. And I still believe that that product should exist, but probably by a different uh, scale of a business to launch it. Interesting. So uh, there's kind of this dissonance because you've been working on this idea for over a year at this point. You've won, you know, and and earned a, a bunch of investment, gotten external validation. But you personally on the ground, he's like doing the research and building this and are discovering that it's not feasible. How does that feel? Like, you know, what's your, you're still supposed to go to hacks in Shenzhen, right? At this yeah. point, are you nervous, anxious? Do you have imposter syndrome? Like, what's your kind of mindset as far as everyone's telling me this is a good idea? I've personally validated that, like, this isn't going to work. What's your next step? You know, at the time, it was definitely like, I felt a little sad that the the idea wasn't going to kind of make it. Like it just felt like it made sense, but kind of came to terms with it. And pretty much immediately, the focus was like, "What's next?" Because we've committed to this. Phil just quit his full time job and is working Amper, <laughs> and we got to make something of it. So the question was, "What's next?" And um, it's funny. Even when we showed up to the program in Shenzhen. We didn't really have an idea what's going to be next. So we just kind of ran with the old idea because we didn't want to get kicked <laughs> out of the program. And then fortunately, in like, say, 30 days or so, we made a pretty good pivot to the industrial space. And just for context, I grew up around manufacturing all my life. My family has been doing it for multiple generations. So I grew up seeing the shop factory floor firsthand and uh, my dad, even right now, he runs manufacturing companies in India. So to me, it um, it was funny that it wasn't the first place where I even started the company. But 
very natural place for it to have ended up where, um, you know, it just made a lot of sense. And I knew the problems really well firsthand. So we made the pivot in the first month of the startup program from home electricity monitoring to instead using kind of the same approach, which is any machine has an electrical signature that tells you something about it that's really interesting. And let's apply that to industrial assets where there's a really compelling and sizable business case around. Right. Uh, but I want to emphasize this uh, kind of pivot comes from a bit of like a serendipitous trip that you took while in China <laughs> back home to India, right? Like it wasn't something that you just had a light bulb moment. It was because you were in Shenzhen and uh, visited home and, and talked to your dad about what you were working on. Yeah. I mean, that's just how it works out, right? So um, for some weird visa-related reason, I had to be back in India. And it was like a short four-day trip. And this was still in the motions of soul-searching and figuring out what we're going to work on next. And at that moment in time, Amper did not have a product, a market, or an idea what to do next. While I was back in India at my dad's factory, um, it kind of clicked looking at you know, the various problems uh, that were there. So for example, you know, it was so clear to see the amount of pen and paper and manual data tracking that was being done, the amount of emphasis there was in being competitive and having cost reductions and um, lean manufacturing. So just being in that environment because of a random visa-related trip kind of just made the two worlds kind of click and it made sense to pivot to that industry. Right. That's amazing. And so you end up pivoting to this uh, kind of manufacturing analytics product. Walk us through what happens uh, going back to Hacks and, and what's next for you guys. Yeah. So it was a little awkward. So it's like, hey, everyone, uh, we've, we're actually not doing this old idea that you invested in. We're doing a completely different idea that we have no idea how to like actually build out but we're doing it anyways. And they were super supportive, uh, the folks at Hacks. And, you know, over the, the following two, three months, we built out an MVP. And what's funny is at the time, I became a lot more reluctant, just scarred from being so wrong about home energy monitoring. And so I think we had, a, we had conviction in the space and the size of the problem. but the solution and the approach largely became a hypothesis. So that is kind of the mindset, which is, okay, the, we have conviction in the problem, the kinds of customers we want to work with, but in terms of the specific solution that we're building, we think it's right, but time will tell, and we need to run more experiments. Yeah, I think that's super smart. Again, not being married to your solution. It sounds like you learned your lesson from the first iteration. And so when you have a, a hypothesis for a solution for this new product, um, how do you test that? What's, what's kind of your, your scientific process as far as getting that validation? Yeah. So at this point, we were pretty clear that we needed to speak with a ton of customers before writing any code, building any more product. And at the time, I actually joined another startup accelerator. Um, called Alchemist Accelerator, which is based in San Francisco. And they're heavily 
sales and fundraising focused. So that was a a great experience to kind of um, also learn how to really do that sales validation and a product validation process. And we essentially had a ton of interviews, tried to do some experiments in, you know, cold, cold emailing to see kind of the resonance, a lot more market research, and spoke with anyone and everyone we could to get as much feedback and signal on is this the right problem to be solved? And is this the market? Uh, is this the right solution or approach to the problem? Right. So instead of uh, building the product kind of in secret and then trying to release it and being like, why don't you guys want this? You really um, focused on getting input and feedback from potential customers on what they were interested in and willing to pay for in the first place. Exactly. And that in the next, in the following months, uh, this is in 2017, we had a handful of pilot customers that were like proof of concept. So devices that were actually deployed in the field, people interacting with a pretty basic app, um, but it gave enough feedback and, you know, m- small case studies and proof of concepts, customer validated that we knew there was something there. We just needed to build it out. Right. And at this point, you're also kind of living the uh, the San Francisco young founder life at this point, right? What was that experience like? It wasn't as glamorous as it sounds. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, lived in three different apartments at the time in san francisco like craigslist and and all and it was just such a unique time because our company just didn't have a lot of money and we had to be insanely frugal while trying to raise a seed round of funding as well and just a quick note on that i I just remember raising our seed round and we're building this weird manufacturing company it has some hardware involved now a lot of vcs obviously um, focus on the industrial space, and there's a lot of excitement and energy around IoT and industrial uh, technologies. But at the seed stage, when we didn't really know much about the the venture industry, it just felt pretty challenging to raise a round of of capital. But after two months of fundraising and about ninety rejections after meetings, this is after having a conversation, we were able to pull together a seed round that was led by slow ventures and it, it it again a huge inflection point for the company it had the resources to really build out the product yeah that is a that is a crazy time <laughs> yeah i mean to to get 90 rejections after meetings and still have the the motivation and momentum to keep going uh is impressive but i think necessary if you're if you're going to be you know a successful entrepreneur um, what would you say, looking back, what were maybe some of your misconceptions about fundraising from from venture capitalists? Or what would you have done differently if, if you could have a do-over that kind of first round? I think, um, one, I think we could have used a better website. <laughs> I think design matters. But I think what was really helpful for me was some conversations I had where essentially really understanding why venture works the way it works. What is the meaning of having enterprise value? Uh, What is a high quality business? Why do startup businesses get startup funding? And really understanding both the short-term aspects around 
uh, you know, high growth, but also the long-term businesses that have been built. So I, I, I guess all of this to say, really understanding why VCs have a bias for certain kinds of businesses and almost looking at that most as inspiration for building a high-quality, high-growth business instead of, you know, looking at the negatives of it. Right. So, so understanding um, why investment decisions are made and kind of tailoring your narrative and the business you're building. I would say, firstly, the, the product and the business tailored to uh, building a long-term and high-quality company. Mm-hmm. And around that, uh, building a narrative and um, a business plan that, that is high-quality. So I, I think the business and the product have to uh, exist before any pitch. Right. So, okay, at this point, you're a couple of years in. You just raised uh, $1.5 million for this first round? Yeah, that's right. So you're, you're set up pretty good. What's, uh, what's next for Amper? So we just closed this round, and now there's a big decision, which is to be in the Bay Area or move back to Chicago. And a couple of external events over there, but overall, we made the decision to move back to Chicago after raising that round of funding in San Francisco. And it was definitely the right decision. The reason was we were much closer to more customers uh, being based here in Chicago. Uh, you know, selling to manufacturers, not a whole lot in Northern California. Long story short, we moved back to Chicago built out an initial team of engineers to really get the product up and running. And yeah, it was a pretty exciting time. Yeah. And so were there uh, milestones or KPIs when you raised that, that first round that like your, your goal is to hit at that point? And like, how do you think about the strategy to get there? Or is it more, okay, we have all these resources, we'll, we'll figure it out uh, on the go? Yeah, that's a good question. While the goals were there, the initial focus was really identifying what use cases made sense for our customers and what kind of product value we could bring. So it was less so around straight up growth and top line revenue, but we were still very much in the product market fit discovery phase. And at the time, we were really focused on understanding what kind of use cases and applications would really resonate and be most impactful. I'll admit that I kind of made the mistake of skipping that uh, and trying to rush for revenue growth. Uh, and that obviously <laughs> is a very hard thing to do before your product market fit. But essentially, that, that phase was really focused around finding value. Right. And it sounds also like what you had learned in your experience so far was understanding that you have a bunch of assumptions and then setting out to either prove or disprove those assumptions. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, how is Amper doing today? You know, you've been through a lot. It's been a winding journey. Um, sounds like there have been a lot of ups and downs. How are things going? Yeah, certainly lots of ups and downs. And, you know, I'm really excited about the point that we're at right now. So over the last two, three years, we have built a really interesting and impactful product. And, you know, really glad we focused a lot more on customer success and product development early on. At the end of the day, that's really the foundation on which you can build any sales machine or, you know, look to acquire new customers. And, you know, at this point, we we have a team of about 15 people and, um, you know, really grateful for the resources, the team, the customers that we have 
And yeah, the nature of you know questions to be asked, or the problems to be solved has definitely evolved quite a bit. So as I mentioned, you know, when we raised the seed round, the question was very much open, like what kind of customers do you want to work with? What is really your product? What are those top two or three use cases? And it was definitely an adventure and a journey of ex- a lot of experiments to really dial in on what works. Similarly, around the sales aspects too, which is how do you really grow and what are those efficient um, you know, channels or processes to, to drive growth. So lots of experiments, lots of learnings. And if anything, I think the big takeaway is you'll always have problems if you have any aspiration for growing and just having a, an approach that is somewhat repeatable to solving these problems and building a better product, fixing your process. Like, I think that's really been the big takeaway for me personally. Yeah. That's that makes a lot of sense. Um, and it's also just clear that you personally have grown from the perspective of, you know, your early days of the first iteration of Amper of, well, I'm getting all this external validation. So like, I'm just going to keep going down this path to you no, know, I have assumptions. I'm going to talk to customers. I'm going to make them happy. Uh, and like, that's how we'll grow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, some some things that were especially impactful for me is things like, The whole concept of jobs to be done, for example, that people hire your product um, to do tasks that are maybe challenging or complex, and so really identifying the true use cases of jobs to be done for our customers. Secondly, on the revenue growth front, having a really systematic and process-driven approach to repeatable, scalable sales. And so our company, we, we have like a lot of process, a lot of documentation, and I, and a lot of metrics that we track internally to make sure the leading indicators and the lagging indicators are looking the way we want them to. Yeah, it's been it's been a big long journey of learning, but super grateful and excited for where we are. For sure. And so now on this side of it, you know, looking back to when you were a freshman in college or even as you mentioned in high school, like trying to build businesses around the problems that you solved. What would be your advice to uh, a young entrepreneur today as far as um, what you've learned and, and how they should approach solving a problem that they're interested in? You know, working on Amper and being able to power through the, the really challenging times and really enjoy the, the good times, I think required just so much tenacity. And there were so many points that I think were pretty reasonable to like maybe not go long uh, or whatever. And I think I was just like really obsessed with the problem, the market, just the manufacturing industry. And I think that really fueled a lot of passion and conviction to keep going at it. And so I guess like the takeaway is, you know, definitely find a problem or a space that you can, you'd want to invest in the next couple of years um, working on. And the other is, at the end of the day, the, the folks that really carry you through are your, your colleagues and you know, your teammates. And so I think that's a kind of a given, but really picking great folks to work with uh, obviously goes a long way. And you know, as someone in college, it's really hard to find, in a, in a sense, folks that you worked with in a professional sense for years and years. But it's also kind of one of the easier points to find potential co-founders or, uh, or colleagues. So 
I I definitely would encourage people to find those people that are really passionate and have a lot of tenacity for solving problems. Yeah, I think that the college ecosystem is not only a great time to try uh, starting your own startup, but a great resource for all of the diverse and different people that you you have access to. And I do want to call out uh, the garage for a second, because I, I really do consider it the place where we founded the company. And folks like Melissa and Billy were so key to those early days and pushing us to ask those questions and <laughs> invalidate the 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 1.0 idea. Even after we left Northwestern, we had the opportunity to get an investment from NU Seeds, uh, you know, get customers, get advisors. So I just want to say how grateful I am for the garage. Well, thank you. We appreciate that. And obviously, we're proud of all the great work you've been doing and uh, appreciate you sharing your perspective and wisdom with us here today. Yeah, you got it. All right. Thanks so much, Akshat. Thanks. If there's one lesson I would take away from Akshat, it's the importance of avoiding solution attachment or being married to what you think customers want without talking to them. Akshat discovered that by talking to potential customers at the earliest stages, he could get input and feedback directly from them about potential solutions for the problem before starting to build a product that they might not be interested in and wasting valuable time. If there's a problem you're trying to solve with a startup, I encourage you to talk to as many people currently facing that problem as you can and be open-minded to what your ultimate product might look like, even if it isn't what you had originally envisioned. How I Got Here is a podcast from The Garage at Northwestern and is produced by Melissa Kaufman, Ben Williams, and Elizabeth Wright. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform.